This afternoon, we confess together from the canons of Dort Head 2, Articles 5, 6, and 7. Let's now confess these together. Moreover, it is a promise of the gospel that whoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be announced and declared without differentiation or discrimination to all nations and people to whom God in his good pleasure sends the gospel. However, that many who have been called through the gospel do not repent or believe in Christ, but perish in unbelief, is not because the sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross is deficient or insufficient, but because they themselves are at fault. But all who genuinely believe and are delivered and saved by Christ's death from their sins and from destruction receive this favor solely from God's grace, which he owes to no one, given to them in Christ from eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the gospel proclamation and how it goes out to all the world, we pray that you would fill our hearts with hope and confidence in what Christ has done and the fact that he does speak uh, through preachers today by the power of the Holy Spirit and wins your elect uh, to yourself. So, Father, help us to be attentive to your word. Uh, Help us to hear the law convicting us of sin and also the gospel, which convicts us of eternal life in Christ alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The uh, scripture lesson this afternoon comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And that is found on page 888 of your Pew Bibles. Once again, the scripture lesson is John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has gone into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. The Word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. Articles 5 through 7 here of Head 2 uh, obviously have their context and meaning in the first four articles of Head 2. But these articles also have their context within the Arminian controversy of the 1600s. Now, while the Reformed during this time confessed that the Scriptures taught a limited or definite atonement, the Arminians confessed that the atonement was universal. That is, the Reformed believe that Christ died for the elect exclusively, 
The Arminian said, no, Christ died for the sins of all people. And the Arminians accused the Reformed of saying, well, if you say uh, Christ died only for the elect, then that means you don't believe the gospel should go, go out universally to all people. That's what this sermon's about, is to say, no, uh, we believe the scriptures very clearly proclaim that the gospel is to go out to all people without distinction. So that is the point of the sermon, is to discuss the implications of that teaching. Now let's review articles 1 through 4 very quickly. Article 1, uh, God's justice requires that our sins committed against His infinite majesty be punished body and soul. We're all sinners, every one of us, we deserve judgment. Article 2, we are unable to satisfy God's justice, therefore out of God's infinite mercy, He gave His only begotten Son for our surety, guarantee, who has made sin and became cursed for us in our place, that He might make satisfaction to divine justice on our behalf. Article 3, Christ's death has infinite value, so much so that it is abundantly sufficient to expiate or take away the sins of the whole world. Article 4, the reason Christ's death has infinite value is uh, he was truly, that is Christ is truly a sinless man and truly God and was able to take the curse and wrath of God. So according to Head 2 so far, the fact that Christ satisfied God's justice on behalf of his people is the good news of the gospel. All people are sinners. The only way they can be saved is through Christ alone. That's the proclamation of the gospel. So Article 5 continues that the promise of the gospel uh, is that specifically Christ died for sinners. So now Article 5 states that this promise, whoever believes in Christ crucified is saved and the command to repent and believe, ought to be declared and published to all nations to all people promiscuously and without distinction to whom God out of his good pleasure sends the gospel. So let's make that very clear. The Reformed Church believes the gospel should be preached to all people, all nations without distinction. And this speaks very clearly of the calling of the Church of Jesus Christ. Where do we understand that? Very simple. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28 makes this very clear. Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I commanded you. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. That is a commission given to the church. Not each little individual person in the whole world or in the church, but to the church as it proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it goes out to the nations... So this morning we prayed for the world, uh, the nation of, or the continent of Africa and all the nations and countries therein. We pray, we earnestly pray that the gospel would go forth uh, to that continent, to all corners of the earth, because Christ said to do as much. Preach and do sacraments. Acts chapter 1, same sort of context. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He says, begin here in Jerusalem, folks. Uh, Preach the gospel and let it spread Samaria onto the ends of the earth. Romans chapter 10. Um, Paul argues that faith comes by hearing the word of God. But, he says, nobody can hear the word of God unless there is preaching. 
And in all of these contexts, uh, it is clear that Christ is teaching the early church that the gospel is to go out to all nations. No, Jesus doesn't say, look, I only died for the elect, okay? So those, you're pretty sure the elect, preach to them. Everybody else, ignore. No, he doesn't say that. So, the framers of the canon state this because, again, uh, the Arminians against whom they were arguing or discussing this issue were saying that, look, you Reformed don't really believe in the preaching of the gospel. You think it's just situated for certain people and not for everybody. The Reformed are saying that's not true at all. We think we should preach to everyone. And so the Reformed reply note centers on the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whosoever believes in Him would be saved. And so the, the, the proclamation of the gospel is clear here that it should go out to all nations. And that's why um, Jesus here teaches that God so loved the world. Now we'll come back to this, but many times people misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Arminians in particular or others will say, well look, look, Jesus said he died for all these people in the world. And how much more clear can it be? Not what Jesus says. He says God loved the world for the purpose of sending his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but receive eternal life. So the emphasis here is that God situated the gospel in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. Remember, Jesus is talking to Jews here. He's talking to Gentiles too. But that's his total audience. Many times we think that Jesus is talking to the modern world. Like, you know, who we are in Southern California with our uh, interests and our context. No, that had a very specific context. He is including Jews uh, when he speaks to them. Saying, look, the gospel isn't just for Jewish people. It's going to the nations. God loved the world, not just Israel, in the nation of Canaan. It's going out to the whole world. The demonstration of God's love for all the nations, in a general way, is the fact that He has sent His Son into the world. But people have to believe in Him. That's the point. It never says that He is dying for every single person in the world. It's very clear. But now there is a tension. We have to speak to that. That um, We'll get into this in much more detail in a couple of weeks. But uh, Christ very clearly died only for the elect. He didn't die for everybody universally. Yet, we still say, we publish the gospel promiscuously to all people. Now, one person helps us to understand this tension a little bit more. when He says that we uh, distinguish uh, theology in three ways. First, there's theology as God knows it. Second, there's theology as we know it. And third, there's theology as we do it. So, theology as God knows it. That is, for example, God issues decrees. Uh, Often those decrees are hidden. The decree of election. Uh, God chooses some. We don't know why, but he has chosen some. He has revealed that in the Bible very clearly. And then the church operates according to that doctrine as well as other doctrines. Now we do what God has said because it is published. The third is we do what God says. The second is it's clearly in the Bible. 
The first we don't always know. That is, theology as God knows it. Why did God decide to choose some and pass over others with His grace? For His own glory. People will say, well, that's no answer. Yes, it is. That's what God says. But it's theology as God knows it and understands it. He doesn't reveal all the mechanics of everything. Same here. Uh, Christ died only for the elect. But we know, even though there's a tension, that we must still proclaim the gospel to every person. So we don't know for whom Christ died until they express faith and join the church. But we do know that Christ has said, preach to all people, to all nations, without discrimination. Now here's a little example of how, why this is so important. Uh, many evangelicals today will say uh, they need to go out and do personal evangelism. And you know, typically the, the approach is like this. Hey, friend or stranger, God loves you. You're a sinner, but Christ died for you. God loves you, you're a sinner, Christ died for you, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. Well, the problem with this presentation is, first of all, what do they mean that God loves them? The Bible says if they don't know Christ, they're under God's anger and wrath. That's not love. There's general love, for sure, that they exist in the creation, but there's not a special redemptive love that's sort of suggested by that presentation. But also, we can't say to that person, Christ died for you. But that's what the Arminians want to say. They know that Christ died for them. And the result of that logic is, all you need to do is exert your free will and you can take the gift of salvation. That's not an accurate presentation of the gospel. So this gets us into Article 6. Article 6 addresses the issue that some do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to one person, the Arminians offered two reasons why people didn't believe in Christ. They say, either sinners don't want Christ, or two, Christ didn't die for all people. That's the Arminian argument, an accusation against the reform. The reason people don't believe is, one, they don't like Christ, they don't want to follow Him, or... Christ didn't die for all people. Well, read in this way, the problem of a person's unbelief lies in the nature of the atonement, doesn't it? The Arminians say that the Reformed conception of the atonement is wrongly restrictive. But, as we'll argue more in Article 8, Christ's death was wonderfully restrictive and definite for His people. That those who have faith in Christ can say that Christ died for me. That's what you are to say, Christ died for me. If you have faith in Him, that is the fact. Therefore, the Arminian construction is wrong and unfair and makes the problem a problem with God's design of salvation. The problem is not with the atonement, but with man, as Article 6 argues. That man does not repent, does not believe, and perishes. is not due to any defect or insufficiency in the sacrifice offered by cross and the cross, but is wholly to be imputed to themselves. Now, one sort of, you know, false logic people could use is, okay, you reformed, you say that, but going back to your idea of predestination, God elects some and passes over with his, passes others over with his grace, right? So, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Well, if that's true, then really you're saying it's God's fault 
Because those people that don't believe you're saying it's their fault, they're passed over with His grace. Right? So those who come to believe are elect, and they shall come to faith. You say, yeah. But those who are passed over with His grace and reprobation, well, they don't have a choice. So you're saying it's God's fault. No. If God did not save one single person, God is still fair and just. And kids, remember this morning in catechism class, we define justice. It's getting what a person deserves, right? God is always just. He's always fair. God would be just and fair if He allowed not one person to be saved. So God passing over some with His grace is not unfair. You can't blame God for that. That's totally fair. What is merciful and gracious is that God saves anyone at all. So you can see how the Arminian conception is really twisted. And the Reformed is, are really trying to deal faithfully with the, the text here and how it represents the whole thing. So again, to be very clear, Christ preaches that any who wish to come to Him may. That's very important to let the world know. Anyone who wishes to Christ may come. Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So kids, again, this morning in the class, we define what a burden is, right? A burden is something heavy on your back or shoulders. That's an example of a burden. It's something that is hard to uh, carry. Well, Jesus says your sin is impossible to carry, but if you wish to come to him, you may. That's proclaimed to the whole world. Another great text is John 6. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what's fascinating about this text is that Jesus says simultaneously, you have no choice. Uh, Anyone who comes to me, the Father's uh, drawn him. But you can come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. And in the Gospel of John, there's this wonderful sort of tension between these two things. Um, God chooses his own. Christ dies for the elect. No choice of yours. Yet... The gospel is clearly proclaimed to the whole world. Come, all you people, and if you come to me, I will not cast you out. And so Jesus has revealed by the Spirit to 
the Apostle John, this is how it works. There's theology as God knows it. Jesus knows and the Father knows and the Holy Spirit knows exactly what's going on here. Yet there's theology that's revealed. Church, you are to proclaim, without distinction, the gospel to the whole world. You can't decide who can or can't hear it. Finally, Luke 18. Wonderful passage. As he, that is, as Christ drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Anyone may do that. You and your sin wish to try to find out who would be receptive to the gospel, who wouldn't. Aunt Mabel, she'll never listen to this. Why even bother praying for her? Uncle Frank, forget it. My friend, this guy. What? No. No one knows who God's elect are. And you should pray earnestly for your lost friends and neighbors. And that's what we do every Sunday morning. And we invite everybody to church. Even the crazy person you think, man, they would never hear this and believe it. No, invite them. You never know. They might cry out to Christ just as this blind man did. Besides, what makes you so special? You didn't believe because you were smarter or more beautiful than anyone else or more um, you know, providentially it made sense. I mean, no, that's not true at all. God saved you uh, a wretch like anyone else. So to be clear... There's no defect or insufficiency in the sacrifice of Christ. No, the Reformed say, the gospel uh, that proclaims the death of Christ uh, is not in tension with the fact that the, the sacrifice is sufficient uh, just for the elect. No, we uh, publish the gospel to all people. Well, finally, Article eight, or rather 7 but all who generally believe and are delivered and saved by Christ's death from their sins and from destruction receive this favor solely from God's grace, which he owes to no one, given to them in Christ from eternity. If one does not believe, that is their fault. But if one believes, uh, it is only by God's grace. And again, in the um, Arminian controversy, the Arminians argue, and this is clear from the um, Rejection of Errors, paragraph 6, after the second head of doctrine, the Arminians said, no, you know, Christ died for all, um, and his death and the saving efficacy of that death must be appropriated. It's Christ merited um, salvation for all, but it's only appropriated by those who had faith in him. And it's amazing, when you hear... Uh, popular proclamations or presentations of the gospel today, that's exactly the language that is used. That's just, just evangelicalism today, uh, professed Christians today, that, that uh, are really excited about proclaiming the gospel. Uh, this is the typical theology. 
Christ just died for all. You just need to appropriate that saving work by faith. But, um, and again, the problem with this is it's all up to your free will. So what Arminians talk about is this thing called prevenient grace. That is a grace that goes before. Grace goes out to all people. And they have potential to be saved. And all they need to do by the action of their will is to take that gift. So it's up to them, really, uh, to be saved. God's made you all savable, but the only way you're going to be saved is that if you take your free will and take that gift. But Article 7 speaks against this notion. It confesses that uh, saved by grace means that God gives them grace by which they are saved. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are saved by grace through faith. The power of salvation is nothing that you will or decide. It is the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit to apply redemption to you. No, you use what? Faith. But Paul says in in that passage, uh, Ephesians 2, that even faith is a gift of God. So God raises you from the dead, gives you faith, and through faith, which is just an instrument, not an engine, you receive the gift. That's not free will. That's God working to cause you to be raised to life. And once you're renewed by the power of the word, then you choose God. But only when God has first worked in your heart and raised you from the dead, you see. So in conclusion, we wish to make it clear that the Reformed believe, that is our church believes, that we are to preach the gospel to all people. And brothers and sisters, this is the work of the church. If you don't hear the gospel in this church, there's something wrong. Uh, We preach the gospel to our members. We preach the gospel to those who visit our church, to the lost, to everybody, because it is the work of the church. The scriptures are about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that's what we preach about, that's what we discuss, and that's what we sing about as we praise God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.